0: There was a man that had a TV show in the late 80s or the 90s somewhere. I'm not sure. Uh, I don't watch late TV, but you'd get a clip of it somewhere every now and then. Arsenio Hall, I think it was. And he'd have a, if, if I if I have this right, he would have a segment of things that make you go, hmm. That's the way he would do it. Things that make you go, and, and he would just... Go on with some things that uh, maybe people just hadn't thought about. So, um, in 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 me and us, when I hope we do, when we read Scripture, we'll come across things that make you think, huh? And that that happened to me recently. We were at the Pines studying Mark. We finished Mark. We moved on over to Acts, and we uh, got to a point, and I th- and I've read. I've read this a thousand times, not literally, but maybe, yeah, I don't know, and I saw something that just really just struck me at that time, that it never struck me in such a way before. And so, we're going to talk about that for just a minute, but it's going to take a few minutes to get there. So, if you will, turn in your New Testaments to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 11. Chapter 12, verses 7 through 11. Give you a moment to turn there. I'm going to begin in the middle of a thought, really, but uh, you'll, you'll get it in a minute. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the Spirit, through the same spirit to another the faith by the same spirit to another gifts of healing by the same spirit to another the working of miracles to another prophecy to another discerning of spirits to another different kinds of tongues to another the interpretation of tongues but one and the same spirit works all these things distributing to each one individually as he wills. So I want us to just look at those, those things quickly. And, and it says that uh, what was given by the Holy Spirit was the word of wisdom. That some people were given a gift that would help everybody by the wisdom that they had, they possessed. To another was given the, the gift of knowledge. And that the revelation was not complete. And so they had to have in the different congregation the apostles weren't always there for all these things. And so they were some were given the gift of knowledge to another the gift of faith. I don't know much about that. Gifts of healing were given all by the same spirit that a person could use the spirit to heal people of incurable diseases are so far incurable at that time or of whatever it might have been and the working of miracles which the gift of healings would have been the working of miracles so uh, that's I guess a generalization of it and they were given the gift of prophecy somewhere that they could foretell what was going to happen in the future Another was discerning of spirits, and this might be helpful if you had a man come in there and he was, you don't know him, and he's going to teach or preach, and maybe they would be able to tell, okay, he's okay, or maybe he's not okay, I don't know, Um, and also different kinds of tongues, languages, not just gibberish, but languages, and also to the interpretation of tongues. If somebody could speak in a tongue, they may not know exactly what they were saying, but there was somebody to be there that would, could interpret the tongues. One in the same spirit works all these things for the profit of all, for the, good, for the benefit that everybody would get from these. That's what was supposed to be for, for everybody's profit. And nothing they did was for personal gain uh, Paul was not going to work a miracle to financially get rich. he wasn't going to do that or for anything like that and it's interesting that um, that um, Epaphroditus was uh, Not well for a while, or injured, or whatever happened to him. We read about it in Philippians. But, But no miracle was used to heal him. It was just, it is what it is. And he would get over it on his own, or he just wouldn't. Because that wasn't the purpose of miracles. But they were never for personal gain. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 1 and 2, it says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. So, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, the gist of it is love is more important than these gifts. If you could speak with tongues but you uh, didn't care about the people you were talking to, then it's like a clanging cymbal uh, or or sounding brass that's just, just off key, and it just doesn't fit. And that's how these workings of miracles and all these gifts were if they were not with love. Though I can have the gift of prophecy and understand all the mysteries and all knowledge, again, if you don't have love, it's just, it's not effective. And though I have um, all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. But that's what I want to talk to us for a few minutes this morning. Here we have, though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains. One of the gifts, and I told you I didn't know much about it, one of the gifts was faith, given by the Holy Spirit. And here he, right in the next chapter, though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. I I never read anything or never heard extra biblical stories of anybody moving a mountain. Did you? I never did. So I think this is hypothetical, hyperbole maybe. Our faith is to be so strong that nothing can move us from where we are, that we are, our faith would be unshakable. So what I want to know is what kind of faith is it that moves mountains, if you will? What kind of faith is that? in verse 9 of chapter 12, to another faith by the same Spirit. Faith was given. It must have been some other measure uh, of, of faith, an added measure of faith given by the Holy Spirit. I don't know what that is. This is what struck me when I... We'll get to it in a minute. This, it, it, I don't know what that is. But I want us to still look in just a minute. Is this the kind of faith that was special for mighty works? I don't know. I don't know. But let's look at what we can know more about. Turn with me to Acts chapter 6. This is where I uh, I saw it again and it just kind of hit me like, huh. I never really thought about it. It just never thought about acts chapter 6 verses 1 through 8 now in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying there arose a complaint among the hebrews by the hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily di- distribution then the 12 summoned the multitude of the disciples and said this is it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God to serve tables Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this matter. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenus, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. When they sat whom they set before the apostles and when they had prayed they laid their hands on them but the word of then the word of God spread and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests were obedient to the word and Stephen full of faith and power did great wonders and signs among the people so if you look at verse 5 And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith. And in verse 9, and Stephen, full of faith and power, did great signs among the people. Is that a saving faith? You think that faith will save him? I don't think that's it. Because I think he at some point in the past had a faith strong enough to compel him to obey the Lord. So this is something extra that was given. Given a measure of faith to help because the revelation of God was not complete. I think that this is something special. This is something more than what Everyday people have. Stephen worked great wonders and signs among the people. We will not have that ability. You and I can't do that. If you can, I'd like to see it, but we can't. And nobody else can either. But after Acts 6, and what we've talked about with Stephen, after Acts 6, we see the kind of faith exhibited by Stephen that we're supposed to have. Stephen doesn't last long after Chapter 6, if you remember. His defense is in front of a Sanhedrin council in Chapter 7. He's been arrested, he's been taken before them, and now he gets his chance. They have suborned witnesses, induced men to lie, basically, and Here he is. It's his time to talk, and he starts a a brief history of Israel. He knows who these people are. He knows what they've done, and he knows that he could be the next. These are the same group of men, or maybe some others replaced them. I don't know how long a time after Acts 2 this is. But these are the kind of men that prosecuted Jesus and killed him. These are the same kind of men. And Stephen is among them, and he is on trial before them like Jesus was, and he could be next. He could be next. What we do know about Stephen is he told them what they needed to hear. Because they had a significant problem. They were unfaithful and they had not served God. They were just like their forefathers. And he tells them later in, in the chapter, you're circumcised, uncircumcised in heart and ears. That they were, if you will, persecuting the prophets or killing the prophets, just like their fathers in, a, in effect. They were just like that kind of people. They didn't like what they heard. And he was next. He was killed. He's the first one that's recorded that was killed by these men after, after Jesus. But instead of turning Stephen over to the Roman authorities, they were so angry in such a rage that they just stoned him to death, took him out and stoned him to death, killed him right there. But he was full of faith, just like we can be. Not a special faith, but a faith in which we will not be taken away from the Lord because our faith is so strong. And like I say, that had never really, this, his miraculous gift, of if he had it, of, of faith and uh, reading about that in First Corinthians chapter 12, it had never dawned on me before even thought about what kind of faith was that. And I still don't know the answer to it. But I do know that we can have a faith that's like Stephen's uh, like in that we can, under every circumstance, we can show that we have faith in the Lord. That's what we can have. That's what we can do. Have faith like Stephen. Timothy is told by Paul, this charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. If we're going to be full of faith, we're going to wage the good warfare. I just understood. That's what you do. As a matter of fact, the meaning of that is to engage in a conflict, to wage battle, to fight, to war a good warfare. Andrew uses that in a prayer a little bit. This, uh, we need you, we need each other. and this uh, I forgot exactly how he phrases it, but he uses it often. In 1 Timothy 6... Paul writes to Timothy, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold of eternal life, to which you also were called, and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Fight the good fight of faith. In verse 1 or verse 18 of chapter 1, he said, Wage the good warfare. And then he says, Fight the good fight of faith. Same, same thing in a different language, different words. That that's the calling that Timothy had was to wage the good fight. Fight the good fight. Wage the good warfare. We are under the same calling. An apostle didn't call us, get, get us like Tom, uh, Timothy was by Paul. But it's the same Lord that Paul had allegiance to, and that Timothy had allegiance to, and that Stephen had allegiance to. It's the same Lord. And so when we're naming the name of Christ, we're his disciples, we're Christians we're to fight the good fight. Well, what's going to be the result if we fight the good fight? You lay hold of eternal life. What if we don't fight the good fight? I think the opposite is is an effect that you don't lay hold on eternal life. So that's what we're supposed to do. And it's not it's not uh, a Miraculous gift that anyone is given nowadays. The revelation is complete. First Corinthians thirteen, which we read a couple of verses of. It talks about them going away; those special gifts, those they're gone. When the perfect is come, which is the work. But Paul telling Timothy to wage the good warfare and fight the good fight, didn't just say that. He said in 2 Timothy 4, 7, I have fought the good fight. I finished the race. I have kept the faith. Paul didn't just talk it. Paul did it before he was with Timothy. It's amazing to me. Uh, and, and it... it the more I study about Paul, it's it's truly amazing to me that he's fought against the church, tried to destroy it, was exceedingly enraged against them in some in the scripture. Uh, I think later on in Acts, or but anyway, he tried to destroy the church, and he's doing the right thing in his mind. Because that's what he was called on to do. If under the old law, if there was if there was a different, uh, the Jews started preaching, teaching something different. Now, oh, no, we got to kill them. And so Paul is engaged in that. He's doing what he knows to do, until he learns better. And then he spent the rest of his life trying to undo what he was doing, instead of destroying the church. Then he was tirelessly working it seemed to build it up and he could say I fought the good fault good fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Not a miraculous faith, but the faith that we have. So Timothy there is encouraged to do the same thing. Turn with me to Second um, into Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 24. Paul, again, is writing to the church at Philippi and he's mentioning Timothy but i trust in the lord to send timothy to you shortly that i may that I also may be encouraged when i know your state for i have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state for all seek their own not the things which are of Christ jesus but you know his proven character that as a son with his father he served with me in the gospel Therefore, I hope to send him at once as soon as I see how it goes with me. But I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come shortly. So he's he's as happy as he can be with Timothy. You Think about what he just wrote. Here's Timothy, whom he... Uh, got to go with him. He was circumcised to go, so he so he could go to places that an uncircumcised man couldn't go among the Jews. And so, look at him now. I don't know how many years later, after he has gotten Timothy to go with him, he says he will sincerely he sincerely cares for your state he sincerely cares about you. I can do that. I can really care about you. I'm supposed to. I can do I can I can emulate that kind of life. Timothy cared for them because of who they were. His brothers and sisters in the Lord. He cared about them because they have the same goal. They have the same mindset of all going to the same place. He served with Paul in the gospel as a son would serve his father. He had proven character, he says, and he commends that character to the Philippian brethren. He's like-minded with Paul. Timothy did not seek his own. He he cared for those other people. Uh, Ultimately, yeah, he wants to make sure he goes to heaven. But he cares about you, if you will. It's not all about him. It's not just about him. He didn't didn't look out for his own interest only. That the brethren were important to him because they were brethren, because they were family. They're family. We're family. We're all related by blood, the blood of Christ. So I should care about you. You should care about me. I should care about everybody in here and and you as well. In Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me and the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul writing again to the church at, uh, the churches in Galatia. He says, "I have been crucified with Christ." How does that happen? How am I crucified with Christ? Romans 6 beginning in verse 3. We die basically like Christ did. We are resurrected out of the water like Christ did like Christ rose from the grave Jesus was crucified he he died he's buried we're we die to the things of the world we're buried in baptism and we come up raised to walk in newness of life another person a different person a different kind of person he says I was crucified with Christ Christ lives in me That's interesting. That's that's cool. That Christ cares enough to live in me. That I care enough that I would let Christ live in me, the effects of him live in me. By that I mean Christ directs our lives through his word, to understand and through scripture how Jesus was and how I am supposed to be. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, tells us our lives are a living sacrifice, not a sacrifice that died like Jesus physically, but we live. We die to the things of the world, but we live putting off those things of the world, showing others who Jesus is in our lives. Galatians 2.20 basically doesn't say it in these words, but whatever is commanded in Scripture, we obey. We do it. Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. We do what God said, and it's no problem doing it. We do it because it's commanded. We imitate Christ's attitude that He came to serve. He came to seek and to save those who are lost. He came to serve so that all of us would live with him. What a a thought that here are wicked people, sinful people. The world is full of them, and they didn't all die in the flood. Eight men lived. But now the world is, is sinful all over again and Jesus dies for us. He dies so that we can live. He dies so we can be with him and we're his creation. He is the source and the director of our lives, kind of different statement, saying the same thing. But our lives are in direct contrast with the lives we live prior to Christ, supposedly. Repentance, repentance, change of mind, change the way, change the things you do to live for the Lord. That's complete 180. That's in, as I said, direct contrast to the way we were. Second Corinthians chapter 5 verse 7. For we walk by faith, not by sight. That we, our faith is strong enough that we don't have to see Jesus to obey him. We have his word. We have God's word. So, wherever we are in the world, Christ is there, there with us. (coughs) I'm <coughs> sorry. Microphone. Christ is there with us wherever we are in the world, whether it's here, whether it's in Oklahoma, whether it's in Italy, whether it's in Athens, Alabama, where, wherever it is. Christ is to be with us. Christ is in us. We're in Christ. Regardless of whomever Christ is. ...might love, he loves me. Doesn't matter that he loves everybody else. He loves me, it doesn't matter. But as far as this example, he loves me. He loves you. Whoever else he might have died for, he died for me. He died to take away my sins. He died to take away your sins... He died for me. What am I going to do with that? How is that going to help me? In other words, if someone sees John in Kroger, he's going to see more than John in Kroger. He sees Christ in that person. When Jerry is at the UPS truck doing his UPS duties. People ought to see the Lord. People ought to see in his, in the results of the way he works, they ought to see Christ. That he's doing things that most folks just don't do. They care about their jobs. I don't know about most folks. A lot of people don't care about their jobs. But he ought to see us and see that we care. When Evan's mowing his yards, when he gets off his real job and he goes to mow his yards, people can rely on him to do a good job in their yards because they see more than Evan. They see Christ in the way Evan lives by word and deed. What we say and what we do. That's That's what people saw in Stephen. They might not accept it They killed him, but they saw he meant what he said. He was living what he said. He was ready to die. He fought the good fight. Everyone, that's not good. Everyone who has been born is in one of two states. And I'm not talking about Mississippi or Alabama. Everybody who's been born is in one of two states. He's either dead and buried or he's going to be dead and buried. There are no other options unless the end comes. That's the way it is. We're, gonna, we're, we're, we're alive to be buried or, or, or that's or already passed. Everybody in history that's been born is either alive or dead. There are no other places. There are no other options. And every one of us is going to reach that point where we're dead and buried, unless the end comes. I mean, we're going to be there. Those children, one of these days, will be older if the world's still here. And they'll be in our places. And we'll be gone. We're in one of two places. Great faith, no faith in God, we're going to die. That's just a fact. It's just the way it is. You and you and all of us are going to die. We cannot escape it. And we are going to meet God. You ever thought about that or seriously? We're going to Face to face, I'm talking face to face. He's going to tell us we're going to heaven and why we're going to heaven. Hope. Or he's going to tell us we're going to hell and why we're going. I can't get out of that. You can't get out of that. Nobody that's born next year is going to get out of it if there is a next year. Nobody who lived in the past escapes that moment, that moment. The rich man is in torment. He just wants a drop of water, just a drop, to relieve him. Just think about that. To relie- Relief is a drop of water to him. What he also wants... Is somebody go back and tell his family, you don't want to come here. This is not the place. Abraham says, can't do it. They have Moses and the prophets. We have the Bible, all of his revelation. We go to heaven, it's because we want to. If we go to hell, because we want to. That the world's pull is too much for us to want to overcome. We can't get away from this meeting with God. Not going to happen. Nothing we can do to separate ourselves from that moment. It's going to happen. If the world comes, it's going to happen anyway. A little quicker. The end comes. We need to be full of faith. Full of faith like Stephen was. A faith that will will do what's right under every circumstance. Under any circumstance. And like Revelation 2.10, even if it costs us our life, be faithful unto death. Even if we have to die. Doesn't say it like that. That's the gist of it. We're going to sing a song. That song, verse 4, chapter 4, I mean, uh, number four twenty-three. "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus." We have to do that. Or not trusting in Jesus gets you the bad result when you meet the Lord. If you need to be baptized to have your sins washed away, why don't you do that? Do it now. Or if you need the prayers of the saints, why don't you do that now while we stand, while we sing.